from Genesis 8.18. So Noah came out together with his sons and his wives and his sons' wives, all the animals and all the creatures that move along the ground and all the birds, everything that moves on the earth, came out of the ark, one kind after another. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord, and taking some of all the clean animals and clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. The Lord smelt the pleasant aroma and said in his heart, Never again will I curse the ground because of man, even though every inclination of his heart is evil from childhood. And never again will I destroy all living creatures, as I have done. As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. 9.11 I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be cut off by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. Let's pray and we'll have a look at God's words. Father, we thank you so much that you are the God of heaven and earth, that you're the God of life. Lord, we thank you that you've made us in your image and that your desire is for us to get to know you as we image you. We thank you for this, uh, your word that instructs us in what that all means. And Lord, we pray that it will be our delight and our life and our excitement and our hope and our future to plumb the depths of your word so that by your spirit we may be changed in the image of your son. What an unbelievable gift you have come to give us in your son. Not only to forgive us, not only even to restore us, but to transform us to be like him. Lord, we pray that we will see every word in your word as life. We pray that you will enable us to grasp it, to love it, to desire it, to think it through, and to obey it. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Well, we are working our way through a little series we've been calling Imaging God. And uh, I thought we'll, um, we'll kind of work on this specific issue at the top of your outline. You'll see it's a fairly detailed outline. Um, and uh, I want us to look at imaging God specifically upholding public justice. It's an area that I have not uh, spent too much time thinking through theologically, um, but uh, Genesis 8 and 9 has really challenged me, and it's been good for me to try and work it out. So here's a quote from, uh, he's, a, he's a politician in Hong Kong, and he is the chairman of the Equal Opportunity Commission. This is what he says. A sense of fairness, justice, may be innate to other animals, but among humans alone it is aspirational, a measure of how we judge ourselves. We not only long to be treated fairly, we also long in our better moments to be fair to others, to continually improve what already exists, Our mission, then, must be to build on our better nature, to persistently reinforce our innate sense of equality, to build a society where the equal participation of all can be facilitated and valued. This is how we can compete and prosper together. Isn't it unbelievable that uh, this guy is a Buddhist uh, priest as well, 
uh, that he can see reality. He can even talk about the fact that in our better moments, we really know and understand the importance of justice to uphold society, and that we should work hard at stirring that better nature of us into being. Isn't it incredible that uh, he can actually see that? Uh, and I hope that you know that too, that you have got a better nature. You actually can, because you're made in God's image, understand the importance of justice and uphold it and seek to establish it and seek to testify to it. That's what he's writing, isn't it? It's quite incredible that a guy can write that. The other one comes from a Christian, and he says, What justice is and how to attain it are controversial questions, but justice is, as an ideal is longed for and universally honored. Life cannot work without justice. If we do not believe that there's a just way in which we relate to one another then life will literally fall apart. <laughs> and that is part of what we are wanting to look at this morning. So this is a huge issue, and uh, the Bible actually calls us to justice in so many different ways. So I've given you there a whole stack of little verses, and I want to just run through them. Just hear how important it is from God's perspective. So Deuteronomy chapter 32 and verse 4 says, He is the rock, His works are perfect, and all his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just is he. Then uh, you're going to quickly flip to, uh, uh, to Proverbs, because Proverbs have got lots of these little ones. So I just picked up a couple of them. Just to, I want you to get a, a feel for what the Word of God tells us about this issue. So in Proverbs chapter um, uh, 18, and what did I put down there? Verse 5. It is not good to be partial to the wicked or deprive the innocent of justice. Isn't that the worst thing that happens in our society? <laughs> the innocent don't get justice and the wicked gets off scot-free. You get excited when you watch the news? It fills you with joy and love for our world when you see that happen. Next one, 20, 21, um, Proverbs 21, verse 3 says, to do what is right and just is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. So please do not come and worship me, says God, if you are not into doing what is right and just. I'm not interested in your worship. Amazing, isn't it? How important that is. How important is this justice issue? God says, please don't come to me and worship me if you are not interested in what is right and just. Because I am just. All right, next one. Uh, verse 15. It says, When justice is done, it brings joy to the righteous, but terror to evildoers. I mean, there's a whole stack of them. I'm not going to read through all of them. Uh, maybe uh, verse 20, uh, chapter 28 quickly. Uh, there's a couple of lacquer ones. Uh, 28 verse, what did I say? 5. Evil men do not understand justice, but those who seek the Lord understand it fully. Chapter 29, here's one for our country. By justice a king gives a country stability, but one who is greedy for bribes tears it down. Now you're all excited about it. <laughs> Amazing, isn't it? How accurate the word of God is in so many ways. The righteous care about justice, verse 7, for the poor, but the wicked have no such concern. 
the righteous care about justice for the poor, but the wicked have no con- such concern. So how do you know you're righteous? Well, you've got a concern for justice, isn't it? If you don't, well, then you're not righteous. Verse 14. If a king judges the poor with fairness, his throne will always be secure. And then, lastly, one of the great ones, Micah chapter 6, verse 8, says, He has showed you, O man, what is good. What does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Great stuff, isn't it? What does God want from you? Is to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with Him. So there's just some of the the wording, some of the commands in the Word of God. There are quite a number more that you could go and have a look at. But I hope it gives you a real desire for what this is all about. And we need to go back to Genesis chapter 9 to understand the foundations of all of what we are talking about. So in Genesis chapter 9, 8 and 9, when God makes the covenant uh, with Noah, and actually just not with Noah, with all of humanity, there are just a couple of things that I want to highlight. So here's the context. All right? The context is that God makes a promise that, uh, and he makes a covenant with all of mankind, not just with Noah, with everybody. So look at verse 8. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and with every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock, and all the wild animals, all those that came out of the ark with you, every living creature on the earth. I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all of life be cut off by the waters of a flood. So here God says, I am making a covenant with all humanity and with all living creatures. It's quite a massive covenant, isn't it? The covenant is that he will uphold creation so that life can go on. So you see that in chapters 8, verse 22. As long as the earth endures, sea time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, will never cease. So God says, I'm going to uphold creation so that mankind can live in this world and I'm never going to destroy by water again until the end. The next time, it's a little bit more terrifying. He will destroy it by fire, is what the New Testament tells us. But within this great covenant, God makes a covenant then with mankind, and he gives them three basic realities of what makes life livable for us. The first one is in chapter 9, verse 1. Then God blessed Noah and his son, saying to them, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. And you go down to verse 7. As for you, be fruitful and increase in number, multiply on the earth and increase upon it. So, God wants marriage. God wants families. Families must have children, so you have communities eventually, so that you may have society. So God wants lots of human beings. He loves human beings. He's made them in his image. He says, I want you to have families and community and life. All right? That's the first thing. The second thing, verses 2 and 3, he says, I want you to work and I want you to provide for those families. So there should be human beings that develop into societies, and all human beings should work so that they may provide for themselves. All right? And the third thing is, he says, in order for that to happen, I want you to execute justice on earth. All right? Look at what he says there in verses 5. 
And from your lifeblood I will surely demand an accounting. I will demand an accounting from every animal and from each man too. I will demand an accounting for the life of his fellow man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God has God made man. There's a need for justice, isn't it? So we justice will enable people to live together, to have families, and for communities to develop. You need justice for that. And you need justice to allow people to work so that they may provide for themselves. Is that true? And then we also need justice in the way in which we relate to one another, in this context, not killing one another. So can you see how incredible this is? This is simple. What makes life possible? Well, they are humans, and they can work, and they can provide, and you need them to care enough for one another so that justice will be upheld. Otherwise, the whole thing will fall apart. Now, there's a lot of implications here for the idea in our society now that we are redefining family. Creation says, if you can't procreate, in that sense, that can't be a family. So there's all sorts of things. You've got to know, you've got to know, now you've got to really start working hard. All right. So what does the Bible say? Creation says to you that two men cannot be a family. Neither can two women be a family. Creation says that. Not God's later word. Two women can't produce. Two men can't produce. That doesn't mean every couple that marries can produce because things go wrong. And that's why we say things have gone wrong. Why they can't have children. But by definition, two men can't have children. By definition, two women can't have children. That cannot be a family, creational-wise. See what we need to... We need to protect human society. Justice. So we need to stand up and make our voices known. Uphold justice. Very interesting. It's a justice issue. It's a life issue. The same goes with work. If you can't work and if you don't allow people to work and they can't provide for themselves, well, then you've got problems. So justice says we must help people to find work, to find an ability to provide for themselves, to take the responsibility to do all of those things. Oh, there's a whole... You can see where this thing is going. It's fantastic. We've got to really think hard here. There's a lot of stuff going on here. But God ultimately says, I am the one who will ultimately demand justice from everyone. So in this little verse, in verses 5 and 6, we actually are given some incredible stuff. Because you are made in my image, you must now uphold justice. Just like I have uphold justice and wiped out everybody except Noah and his family. Because you are made in my image, that's why you should do it. Not only because the life is valuable, that's true, but you must exercise justice because you are made in my image. Does it make sense? You see the difference? So in that verse, in verse 6, whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God has God made man. Not only is a life valuable because God has made it, we need to execute justice because we are made in God's image. So can you see there are three people referred to in that verse? There's the wrongdoer, there's the victim, and there's the one who is going to execute the justice. Did you see that? Three people are referred to. So we as image bearers of God have to uphold justice. Otherwise we are not image bearers of God. You see what he's saying? So we are working towards this whole idea of justice. And this little verse also gives us the heart of what we would call the basis of justice. And it's called in a technical terms lex talionis. For those of you who are 
uh, educated in that department, is the law of retribution. It's an unbelievably good, wise, simple reality of how do you bring about justice. So here it says blood for blood. In the later places, it's actually meant an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Lots of people don't like it, but it's actually an incredibly well-established reality for justice. So just let me ask you, what is an eye worth? How would you know the worth of an eye? An eye, isn't it? It's quite simple. So if you take an eye, what is the worth of taking somebody's eye? You losing your eye. That's the worth of it, isn't it? How else would you work it out? It can get quite complicated. A tooth? Well, the worth is a tooth. This little statement is so profound that legal people stumble over it still. That's how profound it is. It is as simple and profound as what you can get. It takes out all the guesswork out of a whole lot of issues. This is what it's worth. You like for like. Very simple. So on your outline there, I've tried to capture it. This captures the important principle of proportionate, equivalent, balanced, and precision in justice in a stunning way. You see, it's an eye for an eye. It's not an eye for a head. Or an eye for a life. That's an eye for an eye. That's justice, isn't it? I mean, you know how hard it is to get justice when it seems like those who have done wrong get off scot-free. All they have to do is pay sometimes. And there's a sense in us that justice has not been done. Because God knows us because we are image bearers. We actually have a very amazing understanding of justice, how important that is. So here you find it actually gives you a very simple, we can actually determine the value of things in a very like-for-like manner. It's also retributive. Because universally we know when somebody has done you wrong, there should be some punishment of some case, or maybe restitution. Isn't it? God knows that we as human beings have a desire for what is fair, for what is right. And this is retributive. Once you've done wrong, you get retribution. You get what you've done wrong. You get equal value punishment for what you've done. That's just, isn't it? See how amazing this is. This is very simple, but it's quite profound when you start to think it through, what the Bible is actually trying to teach us. And that's how we should do it. And it even captures the universal desire for vengeance, which we believe we have risen above it. But we don't. Because we are actually made in God's image. What a victim needs most is justice, not simply restitution and payoff. So a big oil company spills billions of liters of oil into the sea and we slap them with a $15 million fine. Really? What's that going to do to them? Nothing. They pay that out of their back pocket. See how weird this stuff is? Very interesting to try and figure out what is value for value? Justice. It's in us. By God's grace, He's given us, because we are made in His image, 
He's actually telling us to have justice. Now, one of the interesting things, and we're not going to go too far down this road, is can there be mercy in this system? Eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, a life for a life. Can you have mercy in this system? And that's quite interesting. And I don't want to get into the whole thing of its state and, and church, and we're going to talk about that maybe if you want to come tonight. But what is very, very interesting, there can be, but not in the way that it is done currently. How many people feel that the system has failed them because they felt that the judge had mercy on the perpetrator and they had no say in it? So here's the interesting thing. If you stick to the basic rule of like for like, that's the punishment. That's the retributive justice that must be meted out. Then the judge should actually, because all people have the right to judge. You see, this is not the judge has got the right to judge. All people have the right to judge. All people have the right to uphold justice. Can ask the victim, would you like to forgive them? It's been established. The guilt has been established. The payment has been established on the basis of like for like by an independent person. But now you, as the individual who has suffered, has the right to decide how much of that you want to forgive the guy for. You think that will work better? You see, you can bribe a judge to make a linear sentence, but in this case where he has to uphold what like for like, you can still have mercy. If the person who has suffered says, I would love to have this guy pay less or suffer less or whatever. Amazing. <laughs> when you start to think through the unbelievable depth that is captured in this little section of God's word, where he sets up, this is the rule for all humanity. Not the rule for those who have been saved, Christians. No, this is the rule for humanity. This is how we should do it. We should actually act upon those kinds of issues. So just trying to draw all of this kind of together for us this morning. I know I'm just starting it. This is, this is what you call an appetite awakener. All right? This is, this, is, this is a horse hors d'oeuvre. There's a whole host of stuff to go and think through. And maybe in, in, in the future we will explore this a little bit further. I take it to keep it very simple to help us is that in terms of upholding justice, now maybe just need to say this, this wonderful thing about this verse tells us we cannot establish justice. But we can witness and uphold justice in a moment-by-moment -moment situation. Very interesting. Human beings cannot establish justice. We can simply testify and uphold justice on a case-by-case -case basis. That's what we're supposed to do. We are not going to write a constitution and everybody will obey it. We will never establish justice. But we can testify to justice and we can uphold justice on a case-by-case. -case. See, that's why all of us are involved. We cannot hide away from this unbelievable important thing that all humans are to be involved in the upholding and the testifying to public justice. It's not just for those intelligent lawyers. Now, all of us have that responsibility as image bearers of God. You see where this thing is going? How important this is for us? So I take it, just as we look at upholding justice and the gospel, at its most basic, 
I take it it's not a bad way if we help one another to realize that we we should never do to others that we don't want them to do to us. That's basic justice, isn't it? If you don't want your eye out of your head, then don't take somebody else's eye out of their head. If you don't want to lose a tooth, don't knock out somebody else's tooth. If you don't want to lose your life, don't take somebody else's life. It's quite simple, isn't it? (coughs) Basic. The basic rule is don't do unto others that you don't want them to do unto you. Make sense? It's not complicated, is it? <clears throat> but I guess we need to encourage one another like Mr. whatever his name is, Wong Kong, Wong Kong, says, do rather to others that which you want them to do to you. You see the difference? The one is don't do unto others that you don't want them to do to you. That's the basic rule of justice. But as human beings, we do have a better self, a gooder self. So do unto others that which you would like them to do unto you. A little bit better? But you can't legislate that. But you can legislate justice. Don't do unto others that you don't want them to do unto you. But you can't legislate this thing. This is, this is generosity of spirit. This is generosity of being. But I've got good news for you all here this morning. If you're a Christian, listen to what Jesus asks of you to do. This is your life. Do to others that which I have done for you. You see, basic justice keeps us from annihilating one another. The second one may help us to reach our potential as image bearers of God. Do unto others as you want them to do unto you. The third one is Jesus Christ enables us to become like him. That's God's goal for you as a human being. Not that you will only be just, but that you will reach the full potential of your humanity, and that is to do unto others what you want them to do unto you. But even more than that, in Christ he says, I want you to start to act to people as I have acted to you. I don't want to just save you from yourself. I don't want you just to reach your potential. I want you to reach my potential. That's what my goal is for your life. So as Christians, Jesus then says, he actually quotes these these verses and says, don't live by a tooth for a tooth and an eye for an eye as a Christian because you no longer have to just upheld justice. You are living a life way beyond mere justice. You now treat others as I have treated you. That set you free and will set you apart entirely from society. By default, you will uphold justice. But you will do way more than that. You will actually start to treat others as Christ has treated you. Because he's making you into his image. Why are your faces so down? You should now be all smiling. Just think about this. Imagine humanity can treat one another like Christ has treated you and treats you every single second of your existence. That's what he offers you in the gospel. Way beyond mere justice. Oh, justice is very important. And in society and in the public life, we as 
Christians must fight for justice. But boy, oh boy, God has set us free for to go way beyond that into the image of His Son that can forgive and bear the pain of others' sin and wrong towards you. God has set you free to become like His Son. Isn't that good news? So here's a quote from K. Edward Copeland. When Christians disengage from the struggle for justice for all people, the adornment of the gospel and the credibility of the church is at stake. The world rarely searches out the claims of Christ, but always scrutinizes those who claim to be Christians. The world exegetes our hearts by our actions to test the veracity and the attractiveness of our message. When we ignore, discount, or offer simplistic answers to social injustice, then we tarnish our credibility and diminish the glory of God. See what he's saying? This comes from the Gospel Coalition's Theological Vision for Ministry. We cannot look at the poor and the oppressed and callously call them to pull themselves out of their own difficulty. Just as a sideline. If you have money, I promise you, when we talk about the poor, your favorite verse in the Bible is that those who don't work shouldn't eat. Amazing how we misconstrue the scriptures because that verse suits us. I've heard that so many times from those who've got money. You know what? If you don't work, you shouldn't eat. Really. Do you have got any idea what the situations are that people find themselves in? Yes, it is true. But that shouldn't be your favorite verse in the Bible. Your favorite verse in the Bible should be, as he says here, to be concerned for the reasons why people are where they are. Jesus did not treat us that way. The gospel replaces superiority towards the poor with mercy and compassion. Christian churches must work for justice and peace in their neighborhoods through service, even as they call individuals to conversion and new birth. We must work for the eternal and common good and show our neighbors we love them sacrificially, whether they believe as we do or not. Indifference to the poor and disadvantaged means there has not been a true grasp of our salvation by sheer grace. Do yourself a favor. You've got all Google. Go and type in, in the, in the Bible, search, how often looking out for the poor and the widow and the oppressed is seen as a sign that you know God. Go and Google it for yourself and see how many verses tells you that is what it means to show that you have understood who God is and that you are made in his image and that he saved you. Just do yourself a favor. Just go and Google it and go and read them and then ask God, God, am I in your image? Does my behavior, my perception, my desires, my actions show that I have received and understood the enormity of what you have done for me in Christ Jesus? See, there's a great challenge, isn't it? There's the good news. So, just as we end, as Christians, we work to uphold and explore creation. 
We've looked at that in the last couple of weeks. We work to uphold the social order, which is family and providing and justice, which we looked at today. And we work to hold out the gospel to both non-Christians and Christians. So we've got three major jobs. Job to work, explore God's creation. Job to work at establishing, and not establishing, I caught myself out, upholding justice and the work of holding out the gospel to both Christian and non-Christian. And we can do this from the position of resting in Christ, for only at the cross did God perfectly accomplish and guarantee life. That is creation, community, provision, and justice. It's all fulfilled in Christ Jesus for mankind. He is the hope of the universe. Rest by faith obedience in him. You can work and explore life if you rest in the fact that Jesus Christ has made everything and upholds everything. And it doesn't depend on your efforts. Then you can work because you are at rest. You can work for justice if you are at rest, believing and understanding that God has established justice at the cross through Jesus Christ. You can testify and uphold justice on a case-by-case basis as you live your life without being overwhelmed by the enormity of the task. And you can work because you're at rest that Christ has saved you and that there's no saviour other than Jesus Christ You can go and tell people, Christian and non-Christian, that Jesus Christ is Lord of all your failures and he's forgiven you. Then all of those works are done out of a position of rest, not a position of fear and anxiety and worry and concern and burden You see what Jesus Christ actually gives you? He says, I've come to give you life, eternal life. Come to me to be with me so that you'll become like me and you will have rest in all the endeavors that God has given us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given us this enormous gift of mirroring you to the world, of working and exploring all the wonders of your creation by upholding justice among all image bearers of God and by holding out the one sure eternal hope that is in Christ Jesus. Thank you that you have given us and you've restored us and that you are actually busy transforming us to become more like your son. Lord, we bow before you and we want to worship you and thank you. Forgive us if we have failed to work from a position of rest and we've tried to cut out for ourselves a little spot in this life and we are tired and we are burdened and we are worried because the political situations are upside down and we're afraid and we're terrified. 
Forgive us, Lord, when we have not actually acted in justice, nor have we seeked justice, specifically for those who cannot seek it themselves. Forgive us that we have not imaged you in those moments, in those situations, in those one-on-ones. Oh, Lord, forgive us. Restore us. Build us up. Give us courage. Give us insight. Give us energy. Give us life. So that we may testify to the absolute necessity of justice for your human life to work and to flourish. Lord, forgive us when we have actually been so preoccupied in maybe fighting for justice and upworking that we've never, and we're slow to hold out to people the word of the gospel of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. The one sure place where we can stand and enjoy life, and suffer life even. So Lord, help us to grow in our understanding of the enormity of knowing Jesus Christ. What an incredible privilege. Thank you that you've forgiven us in Christ Jesus. Thank you that we can come and be absolutely honest before you. Thank you that you will restore us, and that you will strengthen us, and that you will purify us. Thank you. Thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray this in your name. Amen.